glad for an opportunity to stand here this morning and just trust that uh, you'll be blessed. Uh, I want to talk about the search for the lost this morning, and that involves all of us, doesn't it? Or it has or it will. But I want to read from uh, Luke, the 19th chapter, but before uh, I begin, let me look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for this people, God. You know all about each and every one of us here this morning. I pray, Lord, that you'd touch our hearts, Lord. Help us to find something out of your word to encourage us, that would challenge us, Father, uh, that would lead us to you. Bless each one here this morning and bless the reading of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor uh, phoned the home of some recent visitors to the church, and a voice on the other end uh, answered with a whispered, Hello? And the pastor asked, Who is this? The little voice said, Jimmy. And the voice of the pastor said, Well, how old are you, Jimmy? Four. Pastor then asks, uh, Jimmy, could I speak to your mom? She's busy. Or could I speak to your dad? He's busy. Are there any other adults in your home? Yes. Who's there? The police. Well, then, could I speak with one of the police officers, Jimmy? They're busy. Jimmy, who else is there? Firemen. Well, could you put one of the firemen on the phone, Jimmy? They're busy. Jimmy, what are they all busy doing? They're all busy looking for me. You know, just like Jimmy, uh, a lot of people are hiding this morning. They're hiding from parents and police. They're hiding from bosses and spouses. They're hiding from teachers and coaches. Hiding from the pastor. And sometimes, maybe even most of the time, they're hiding from God. Why do we hide in life, especially from God? One of the major reasons we hide is because we've done something wrong. Something in our life that we're ashamed of or something we know that isn't right, yet we've allowed it to be a part of our life. So we go into hiding. You remember back in the Garden of Eden, everything was perfect. Genesis tells us that Adam and Eve were naked and not ashamed. But then with the entrance of sin into the picture, everything changed. After Adam and Eve disobeyed God, he came looking for him and called out to him, Where are you? Adam whispered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid, so I hid. Just like Jimmy. Sin and hiding are inseparable. That's my story and that's your story. Sin and hiding are inseparable. At some point in life, we've all run away from God, haven't we? We've tried to hide from Him because we know that we've sinned. But 
I'm here to tell you this morning, God doesn't want us to continue hiding from him because of our sin. Uh, Although we may be on the run, run, uh, you can be assured this morning that God's on the chase. He's looking, looking for us, coming for us. And while we may be hiding, he's still seeking us out yet today. I don't care where we are, where we are in life or what we've done, uh, God is still seeking us out. And I think one of the greatest examples of this in the entire Bible comes in the story of Jesus and his encounter with a little guy named Zacchaeus in Luke, the 19th chapter. And that's what I want to look at today. The search is for lost sinners. I want to read Luke 19, beginning with verse 1. And he entered and was passing through Jericho. And behold, there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. And he was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, and he was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. And he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. Here we find Jesus on his way to Jerusalem. He's passing through Jericho. and Pretty soon uh, he'll be crucified. A little bit of information about this city. Jericho is located in an oasis about 18 miles northeast of Jerusalem. Uh, Not too far. A winding desert road coming from Jericho. Uh, You might remember it from the parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, connects the two cities. And the reason why the man in Jesus' story uh, of the Good Samaritan, uh, the reason he fell among the robbers on this road, it was because it was so windy and uh, allowing robbers great hiding places to commit their crimes. I want to read there from the Luke, the 10th chapter, beginning at the 29th verse about this incident. Luke 10 and 29 said, but wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied and told him a story. He said, a certain man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers. And they stripped him and beat him, and went off, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a certain priest was coming down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw the man, he passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan who was on a journey came down, came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. And he came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend when I return, I'll repay you. And which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, The one who showed mercy toward him. And Jesus said to him, Go and do the same. This was all taking place on that road from, uh, Judea, uh, from Jericho to Jerusalem. Uh, in addition, it was a, Jericho was a very wealthy and an important town. 
William Barclay says that it had uh, was a great palm forest and world fame, famous balsam groves which perfumed the airs uh, for miles around. Its gardens of roses were known far and wide. Men called Jericho the city of palms. Josephus called it a divine region, the fattest in Palestine. Romans carried its dates and balsam to world-wide uh, trade and fame. And another commentator says that Herod the Great had made it even more beautiful. A grand winter palace had been built there in a, th- a theater and a hippodrome. Uh, some of the streets were lined with sycamore trees, and the climate was just delightful. MacArthur adds that Jericho had pilgrims from Galilee and Perea, uh, priests who lived there to serve there, traders from all lands. It was one of the high trading centers and routes going north and south and east and west, every direction. It was a busy, busy place. And now at this time, it would be busy even more um, with the pilgrims headed towards Jerusalem for Passover. Uh, but with a multitude of people coming to and leaving Jericho, the businesses thrived. In addition to the Roman government, it was a center for taxation, Jericho. Not only did you smell the roads gardens in Jericho, uh, the Romans smelled all the revenue coming from the area also. They would exploit this area by placing high taxes on, on the Jews after they after all, they had to use the means necessary to finance their great world empire. And this was one of the several reasons that the Jews despised Rome. In the second verse of our reading there, Jesus entered and was passing through Jericho. Behold, there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was chief tax gatherer, and he was rich. Uh, we meet Zacchaeus. We're told that he's the chief tax collector, and uh, to collect taxes, the Romans needed the collectors to work, and if you wanted a tax franchise, you could buy it from Rome, and that's what these ones would do. They would auction positions off and then require you to pay a certain amount as a tax collector. Whatever else you wanted to keep uh, or to tax or keep, that was up to you. You could go and above what Rome wanted to charge for the taxes. And this was an easy uh, thing to cause corruption uh, to evolve there. You had foundational taxes, income taxes, custom taxes, uh, like a toll for just passing through the city. But if you wanted, you could tax people for anything imaginable here, uh, from the number of wheels on their cart uh, or the animals they were bringing in, the products, <coughs> excuse me, in their bags, uh, all that they could add a tax to. So the tax collectors in this community at this time just became filthy rich, and likewise they were hated. In fact, uh, the rabbis taught that associating with a tax collector was to make yourself unclean. Uh, They could not attend the synagogue. If you were a good Jew, you just didn't associate with these robbers. The Jews viewed these tax collectors in the same light as they would a prostitute. Uh, Jewish tradition 
goes as far as to say it's permissible to lie to tax collectors and protect, to protect one's property. So Zacchaeus, the tax collector, was an outcast. But Luke, uh, through the book of Luke, he talks about the tax collectors and, and Jesus' love for him. Zacchaeus is not just a tax collector, but it says that he's a chief tax collector, meaning that he supervises all the other tax collectors. And Luke also lets us know that he was rich. John MacArthur says that Zacchaeus was at the top of the pyramid, top of the pile. Everybody who collected anything, um, and there were a lot of tax collectors, they had to pay him a a piece of the action. So everything came up the pyramid and eventually landed in his pocket. Everybody extorted for him. Luke had just mentioned the story that we read about the rich young ruler. Uh, How hard, he said, it was for the rich to get into heaven. Not only hard, but impossible. But then Jesus adds, what's impossible with man is possible with God. And on this day, Zacchaeus is among the crowd as usual. And the squeeze of the multitude is making him just a little bit claustrophobic. He notices that there's an unusual amount of anticipation and excitement around. And he thinks to himself, wait a minute, what is this? Is this the noise of that miracle worker rabbi from Nazareth that I've been hearing so much about? He's thinking these things uh, as an elderly man bumps into him. He says, uh, I hear some say he might be the Messiah. Some of the crowd have heard of Jesus and they wonder if he is indeed the Messiah that they've always anticipated and been waiting for. Zacchaeus also remembers hearing about how that this man hangs out with tax collectors. Perhaps he even heard how Jesus befriended maybe a friend of his named Matthew, another tax collector. We can read in uh, Matthew, Matthew 9, verse 9. It said, As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax office. And he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And it happened that as he was reclining at the table in the house, behold, many tax gatherers and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why is your teacher eating with the tax gatherers and sinners? But when he heard this, he said, It's not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. Back in our text, in the third verse, it says Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was, and he was unable to because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. Zacchaeus wants to get close to Jesus, but just not too close. He also has another problem. Zacchaeus is really short. and I don't know if you've been around church for any number of years, I remember as a little boy singing about the song about Zacchaeus being a wee little man. For him to be really short according to the standards of his time, he 
must have been less than five foot tall. And uh, just a wee little man, as the song goes. He's so short that he can't see above the crowd. Yet something is driving Zacchaeus this day. Something's driving him to take a look at this man. He can't seem to shake the thought of a Messiah that befriends tax gatherers. Perhaps being tired of all the jokes growing up in a tall world, Zacchaeus finally decided he was going to climb the professional ladder and step on others who stood in his way instead of being stepped on all the time. He's finally made it as chief tax gatherer. Now he was king of the hill looking over the people in Jericho. And here all he wants is just a look at Jesus passing by. He wants to put a face to the name of the one that he's heard so much about. They say that a sycamore tree was probably about 40 feet high. It was something like an oak with a short trunk and wide branches reaching out. Made it easy to climb. I don't know if you can picture him, this adult male, short of stature, shimmying up this tree in his robe. Possibly he, possibly he was acquainted with tree climbing from uh, growing up. You know, he may have had to run up the tree to see many things before. But he's there perched in such a spot. Zacchaeus had a bird's eye view at the top. He's amazed at what he sees. As he looks down the road, uh, as this man comes walking down the road, there's no pomp, no ceremony, but just an ordinary man walking towards his direction. Nothing like a king, and yet everything like a king. People are now squeezing together in, in the windows of their houses and Large groups, you can see them lining the rooftops of the houses. On the street, you have a collective mass of people, from priests, housewives, to shopkeepers, teachers, traders, bakers. Everybody is there this day, standing elbow to elbow. Except you have one small tax collector perched up in a tree. Verse 5 of our text said, When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. Jesus, walking that way, he parts the sea of spectators, heads over towards that sycamore tree. You wonder, is he going to take a breather and sit down? Uh, What's he doing? All eyes are on him as he walks towards the tree where Zacchaeus is now possibly starting to get a little bit nervous. Past the crowd, past the tree and the branches and the leaves, Jesus looks up. And he peers into Zacchaeus' heart and soul. Though he knows all about the money that Zacchaeus may have extorted, all the money taken legitimately and illegitimately, his eyes see that part of this man named Zacchaeus that's been stepped on. He sees every footprint, every heel mark, and his heart moves with compassion towards this lonely little guy. 
Jesus says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I want to stay at your house today. He not only knew that he was hiding up there, but he also knew his name, commanding him to come down. He was both like a king and a friend. And Zacchaeus had gotten up in that tree just for a glance, only to find that Jesus had actually come looking for him. Zacchaeus thought he was looking for Jesus, but Jesus actually was looking for him. It's not, Scripture says, not that we loved God. In 1 John 4th chapter and the 10th verse, it's not that we love God, but that he loved us. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. I wonder today if he might not be trying to get someone's attention that might be here this morning. He's looking right for you, right where you are, right in your tree, because he loves you. I believe today, I know today, that he's still looking for the ones that are lost. His search is always for the lost. Second of all, The call to each one of the lost is to respond quickly. Jesus, the one person search and rescue team, is coming calling, looking looking for the lost. Jesus came to the place. He looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for today. I must stay at your house. He doesn't look up at Zacchaeus and say, uh, you know, what are you doing up there? There's no accusation, there's no blame, uh, no auditing going on here. He just calls his name and says, Zacchaeus, come on down. I wonder what we would have done in that situation. Jesus says, Zacchaeus, I can't talk to you when you're higher than I. Come on down, stop hiding and pretending. Jesus, when he says, come to me, he always is saying, come just as you are. Come to me (laughs) just as you are. Zacchaeus possibly having extorted money money under his robe. Jesus says, look at me in the eye. Let me see you as you are. Let's go to your home for a meal. And he says, by the way, I think I'm going to be staying overnight. Interesting, Jesus says, I must stay. He doesn't ask permission, I must stay. I want to look at Zacchaeus' response in verse 6. He hurried and came down and received him gladly. With leaves and twigs flying, Zacchaeus leaps down. Obeying Jesus just as he commands. He welcomes Jesus gladly. He received him gladly. That idea is just how uh, Mary and Martha welcomed Jesus into their home. Coming of Jesus to share his home is a sign of fellowship and ultimately of forgiveness. I must stay. 
But not everyone's a happy camper about this. In verse 7, it says, When they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. The murmuring begins to move through the crowd. He's going to stay where? One of them asked. He's going to stay at this sinner's house. He's going to eat there. He's going to share a meal there. But these whispers in the crowd do not seem to bother Zacchaeus or Jesus. People may not understand. And you may be ridiculed. But what does that matter if the God of the universe comes to your home, comes to your house, comes to you? Look at how Zacchaeus responds to the call. Says he come he did it quickly. He didn't say, Oh, can you wait? I've got some tax appointments today, Jesus. Can I take a rain check? He doesn't say, Whoa, let me go home and clean up a little bit. Let me fix some things at the bank. And I, I need to put on a better outfit. Can can we do this later? He doesn't say any of those things. One evangelist said, Jesus doesn't catch clean fish, but he catches his fish and then he cleans them. A lot of times people think Jesus wants to catch just clean fish. They want to clean up their act and then come to church. They want to stop this habit first or they want to take up Bible reading again first. But the Bible says today is the day of your salvation. Second Corinthians, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Not a, one of us have a guarantee of tomorrow. Today is the day of our salvation. <laughs> you know, as Christians, I think we do the same things. We hear God calling our name when we've fallen and we look for a tree to hide in. We look for some place to go. We think, well, I need to get this cleaned up first. Let me stop what I'm doing and then let me start reading the Bible again and just prove to God that He didn't make a foolish choice in saving me. I want to hide in the trees of our sin. The search for Jesus is for lost sinners. And second, the call is for each one of us to respond quickly to His call. And the third point this morning, uh, the rescue that Jesus brings, the rescue comes with repentance. In Luke, uh, the 8th verse there, in the 10th verse, Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I'll give to the poor. If I defrauded anyone of anything, I'll give back four times as much. Jesus said to him, Today, Salvation has come to, to this house because he too is the son of Abraham. The son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. How do we know that Zacchaeus has been touched by the love of God? Because his life is changed in an instant. True repentance in our life, in my life, in your life comes with a, a form of action to it. It's not just words or emotions. 
I'm not sure if Jesus said these words to Zacchaeus at, at dinner or, or right here at this tree or some, some later time at the house. First notice that Zacchaeus calls him Lord. You know, that's always a good sign when you've been rescued by the Lord. There's recognition of who he is. He's Lord of my life now. His repentance, he says, he's going to take 50% of what he owns and give it to the poor. Something dramatic has just happened in Zacchaeus' life. He's going to take 50% of what he owns and give it to the poor. You got a man who spent his whole life taking, who now wants to give back. You've got a man who's defined by selfishness, now acting in an unselfish way. Zacchaeus adds, if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. With the remaining 50% of what he owns, he's going to provide a restitution of 400% to anyone he's defrauded. If you think about that for a second, how many people are we talking about? Where did he get this number? He gets it from the Old Testament. The Old Testament taught that if you stole something from someone, you'd give back what you stole plus 20%. If he had said 20%, that would have been fine, but he would have been right on target. But if it was a robbery, you had to pay double. This is coming from Exodus, the 22nd chapter. He had to pay double or 200%, but he goes to the very max. He goes to 400%. I wonder if he'd have anything left after repaying all this. But I want you, what I want you to see is what, what's happening here. This is a miracle that's happening in Zacchaeus' life. This is that, that camel that's passing through the eye of a needle Zacchaeus is doing the opposite of what the rich young ruler uh, that tells about in the 18th chapter. This is genuine transformation and repentance that's taking place in Zacchaeus' life. This is a contrast with a lot of people today. When called to repent, is that what I'm supposed to do? Do I really have to do that? Uh, a lot of people wonder, how little can I do and, and get away with it? How little can I obey and still be considered a Christian? How close can I walk to the edge? Say, this is in contrast to a lot of people today. The ninth verse, Jesus said, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is the son of Abraham. Today is salvation come to that, this house. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You know, mankind's always looking for where they belong. Want to find out where I belong in life. Once you're found by Jesus, you belong to the greatest community there, there is on this earth, the redeemed bride of Jesus Christ. I want to remind you this morning that all of us are trophies of His victory one, when he came looking for us, when he came and, and breathed life into us, making us alive, and then living in us and helping us to be what he wants us to be. Zacchaeus' rescue 
came with a repentance. First of all, the search that Jesus goes about each day is for those who are lost. And that call to the lost still this morning is to respond quickly. Turn quickly and come to me. When he rescues anyone, it comes with repentance. Repentance is the fruit of that change that's taken place in one's life. And as we close this morning, uh, Mandy, you guys can come. Perhaps there might be someone here this morning that might be needing a rescue. Might be needing Jesus to come into your life and do that change and that miracle in your life. If you're lost today, I want to remind you that he comes by calling your name. He's calling you this morning, inviting you to himself. He wants close relationship, close fellowship with you. I want to tell you this morning that he sees you in whatever tree you might be trying to hide in today. He knows right where you are. He knows where you are in this life, what you're struggling with, what you're dealing with. He sees you today in that tree. You don't need to clean up first, but just turn from your sin and receive him as Lord and Savior in your life. Second of all, if you're a believer this morning, maybe your growth has been stunted. You may be struggling with something in your life, something that might be robbing you of victory. His call is for you to come down from that tree. And embrace the Savior like you did when, he first, when you first came to him. Allow him to rescue you this morning. Don't fight the hands that want to hold you and rescue you. Just like Jimmy, you may be hiding from the one that wants to help you the most. I can guarantee you this morning, God wants to help you. If you're struggling this morning, God wants to help you. If you're dealing with something in your life that It's hard to get victory over. God wants to help you. And he's got the help for you. He's got victory for you. Sin and hiding are inseparable. It's my story. It's your story. At some point in life, we've all run from God and tried to hide from him, tried to get away from him uh, because we know we've sinned. But God doesn't want you to continue. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He doesn't want you to continue hiding. Although we may be on the run this morning, God's in the chase. He's coming after you. He's still seeking us out. This morning, no matter what your situation in life is, uh, I invite you to come back to him, to get to him, to fall before him, and just confess whatever it is in your life you need to. Would you stand this morning? I want to look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the lessons from your word. Thank you, Lord, that you never get tired of calling out to the ones in need, Father. God, you see our hearts this morning. You see what each one of us are dealing with, Father. And if any of us here this morning need to come to you this morning, just turn everything over to you. I pray you'd invite these ones, help them to feel your call. And you're pulled this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.